Exodus 6, starting at verse 28, God tells Moses one more time, Moses, you will go. You do have my blessing. The issue is not whether you have anything else. And in the strength of this then, as we'll see next week, Moses goes in and starts to perform miracles right and left before Pharaoh. First a sign and then ten plagues. So we'll look at those in weeks to come. Exodus 6, 28. And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall speak to Pharaoh, that he must send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they went in to speak to Pharaoh. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts to receive your promise. We have seen the text hint and hammer on this theme over and over and over. The issue is not how adequate we are, that the issue instead is your calling, what who you are, what you have told us to do. Help us then to listen to heed your call, to know your provision. Thank you for reminding us over and over and over of your promise. As many times as it takes, Lord, don't let us forget it. Help us to know who you are and to believe your promise to us in your Son. Help me to speak boldly and powerfully with the demonstration of the Spirit to remind your people of your name and your promise and your calling. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a way of forgetting what God has told us that He will do. This is our 21st sermon on Exodus. I have preached almost 450 sermons to this congregation. And yet, you're still here. Why? Well, you understand that you're forgetful, I'm forgetful. The fact that we heard it five years ago doesn't make a great deal of difference for today. Which is why we're back to hear it again, which is why here in Exodus 28, the conversation that God had with Moses before the genealogy that we looked at last week, here comes up again. And parts of the conversation are repeated, especially Moses' protests about the uncircumcised lips. But God responds to that in a more full way here with his promise, his name, and then his provision, his direction, his deliverance, his enlightenment 
for Moses, for Aaron, and for the Egyptians. We are a forgetful people, but God's promises stand, and He will remind us of them as often as necessary. God will remind us of His promises as often as we need that reminder. We see it already in verse 28 of chapter 6. It came to pass on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Why does the narrator do that? Has he forgotten how to be concise, the man who told Moses' life story for the first 80 years in 10 verses, now repeats himself back to back. God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Moses. He says it two times in a row. Not because he's forgotten that he just said it, but as I said this morning, because he is so amazed that God would do that. God spoke to Moses? How is that possible? How did that come to be? Our narrator is still amazed by the fact. After all the wonders he's recounted to this point, after all the wonders he's going to recount, this is not old hat to him. This is something incredible. Are you a little odd that God spoke to Moses? Or, well, of course God spoke to Moses. Everybody knows that. It happened a long time ago. It's not too impressive or exciting. But to the narrator, it's still fresh. God spoke. Luther said something about that, that if we heard that God was going to be delivering a sermon at some church, near or far, I would run my feet bloody to hear him. And yet, we know that God's word will be proclaimed at all kinds of churches around. How eager are we? How excited are we to hear that? So God spoke to Moses, and what did he say? I am Yahweh. How many times has Moses heard that phrase in the last four chapters? It keeps coming up. God tells Moses his name and then he can't stop saying, here's my name. I am Yahweh. Moses, I am Yahweh. Because that was the most important thing Moses needed to know. Do we really believe that the most important thing we need to know is God's name. We keep seeing it here in the text. What does Yahweh mean? Remember, it means He who is. I am who I am. The God who is not contingent. The God who is not limited. The God who is not subject to fate or futility. The God who is not dependent on the confluence of circumstances. The God who might be able to help if His ship comes in. No, He is the God who is absolutely full stop. His being, power, and glory are unlimited. His independence and freedom are unlimited. No earthly or unearthly contingency can possibly touch him or change him. That's what the name Yahweh means. Well, God says, Moses, I am Yahweh. What we would like him to say next is, therefore, Moses, you're home free. Nothing can change me. Nothing can touch me. You're my servant. Sit back and relax, my friend. 
But as we've seen, this declaration that I am Yahweh bodes ill for what Moses is about to hear. Just as when one of your parents starts to say to you, I am your mother, you know that what you're going to hear next is not, therefore you're home free. Do whatever you want for the next 30 minutes. I am Yahweh, therefore go talk to Pharaoh. You're going to tell him everything that I tell you to say. God invokes his name and yes, reminds Moses, here's who I am, here's my infinite, eternal, unchangeable being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. It's still here and you're still on the hook to do what we've been arguing about for the last three chapters. God doesn't give up easily. Moses has a full arsenal of excuses back at the burning bush. He finally got to Egypt. He tried, he failed, and he came to God and said, I failed, I don't think it's going to work. How is Pharaoh going to listen to me? Right, God, I've identified the fatal flaw in the plan. The whole plan is that I'll come in and tell Pharaoh that he needs to let us go. Pharaoh doesn't listen to me, God. Therefore, the plan is terrible. We need to throw out the plan and come up with a new plan. Is God interested in hearing that suggestion from Moses? Oh, all right, Moses, I'll give you a... No. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. God's name means that you have a job to do. And you have to do it according to his standards. Right? Your job and mine is not to deliver the people of, Egypt out, people of Israel out of Egypt. We have different jobs in our family, in our workplace, in our church, in our society, in civic life. We have various, uh, various callings, things the Lord has put on us. And we have to do those according to God's standards. Moses, though, said before the Lord, this is his final objection, he will not object again in the remaining pages of the Pentateuch, per se, to his calling. He'll fuss about various smaller things. I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? As we talked about, to have an uncircumcised body part means that that part is not consecrated, hallowed, dedicated to the service of God. An uncircumcised lip is a lip that's not baptized, not set apart, not holy enough to say the things that need to be said. Not devout enough to speak to Pharaoh. Not dedicated enough to be credible as the messenger of the Almighty. I can't believe that that person is telling me things from God. For goodness sake, he's wanted on a cold case murder charge. Right, That's what Moses says. God, I don't have what it takes to be your representative. It's a problem to which all of us can relate. God, you've told me to serve you and I have messed it up big time in this calling or that calling. Right? Moses had murderer on his rap sheet. We read in 1 Peter tonight that just being a busybody, a gossip, somebody who likes to talk about your friend's failings, that is classed right in there with murderer or thief. 
Therefore, right, our lips are uncircumcised, our fingers are uncircumcised. We aren't dedicated enough to God's service. We can say with Moses, don't call me. No, I'm not fit for this. I can't be the parent my children need, therefore I won't try. I can't be the pastor my people need. I can't be the civil servant. I can't be the teacher. I can't be the grandparent. I can't be the... Fill in your calling. And then say with Moses, therefore I'm off the hook. Ah, this feels good. But what is God's response? Your inadequacies, he tells Moses, are totally irrelevant. This is not a conversation about how circumcised your lips are or aren't. How good your parenting is or isn't. How dedicated your obedience to me is. Let me tell you what really matters. What really matters is my provision, my direction, my deliverance, my enlightenment. That's where God takes the conversation. Because the qualifications for success were never about you or me. They were about God, His promise, His provision. That's what we saw in the genealogy last week. That's what we see again tonight. Moses said, I am of uncircumcised lips. How can Pharaoh listen to me? God had already talked to him about his lips. So God doesn't specifically mention the lips. Instead, he says this, Moses, I provided. See, I have made you God to Pharaoh. Your translation probably adds a like or as are in there. I've made you like God. I've made you as God. King James rightly leaves that out, as the Hebrew does. The text simply says, Moses, I have made you God to Pharaoh. That's a pretty high calling. All the grandeur, all the authority, all the glory and majesty that God Almighty has, you will have too, Moses, as you deal with the king of Egypt. That's some pretty impressive provision to offer to a servant of God. Nobody else in Scripture, of course, is called God in this way. But Moses, as the great prophet, the type of Christ, is identified as God before Pharaoh in this mission. And God, therefore, gives him also a prophet. Pharaoh claimed to be a God. He had magicians who did his dirty work. Moses now is a God, a representative of God in a very high and important sense. And he has a prophet who does his dirty work, who throws the staff down in the next scene, who uses the staff to turn the water into blood and to make the gnats come out over the land of Egypt. They're evenly matched. Moses has all the provision he needs. How will Pharaoh listen to you, Moses? Well, Really, the question, God says, is not whether Pharaoh will listen to you. The question is whether Pharaoh will listen to me. It's not about you and your skills in delivering the message. It's about the power of God and whether Pharaoh is going to knuckle under or not. Now, we don't have this exact promise in fulfilling our calling. But children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents, you have that authority 
from God. You have that promise that you are like God in your ability to command your children. Servants of the state, same thing. God has given the state a particular area of expertise. He's given it commands, and as you serve the state, you too have then that promise of co-reigning with Christ. That's God's ministers attending on this very thing as you make that traffic stop or write that order, whatever it is that the civil service has you performing. And so it is in our other callings, not that we become God, but that we recognize that every legitimate calling is a calling given by God with its own rights and responsibilities and sphere of influence under heaven. And therefore Moses is told, Moses, you have this ability to speak to Pharaoh and tell him, thus saith the Lord. Parents, state officers, people who manage institutions like schools, Right, you have that same authority in your family, in your workplace, in your office. That's God's provision for us today. We're not Moses the great prophet. Our names will not be remembered. We're not going to write anything as majestic as the Pentateuch. No, but we too have callings from God for our daily lives. God promises not only provision, but also direction. You shall speak all that I command you. Right? This is definitely a difference between Moses and us. Moses gets his encounters scripted. We've talked about that. As parents, we so often wish that God had scripted our encounters. What do you say when your son comes home and says, my girlfriend's pregnant? What do you say when your child has locked the cat in the basement and you don't know about it until you find the cat dead down there because it stank? How do you script these encounters? Well, Moses had that. Say everything I command you. The burden of what Moses was to say was one basic message, send out Israel from your land. God was not asking. He said please the first time. The message from the Almighty is, Pharaoh, let them go. And that message is now directed towards Satan and his host, Satan, let them go. Give up those souls that you hold captive and let Jesus reign over them in his promised land. That's Moses' directions. Speak. Announce God's message to Pharaoh. God promises further deliverance. Not in the way that we might want to hear it. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. God is going to make Pharaoh's heart resolute and stubborn 
such that Pharaoh will be able to say, no, I will not let Israel go. And that's how every one of the ten plagues goes. Pharaoh says no, or Pharaoh gives some kind of qualified mealy mouth yes, so God sends something vicious to Egypt, and Pharaoh, oh, well, maybe I will let Israel go, and the plague goes away, and then Pharaoh, never mind. They're mine. I am keeping these slaves. What does it mean, then, that God hardens Pharaoh's heart? Not that God forces Pharaoh to sin, but rather that God gives Pharaoh firmness of purpose, resolution of heart, a mind that's made up to say, I'm going to do it my way. It's a sin for Pharaoh to use that in fighting God. It's not a sin for God to give him that ability to be tough-minded as he sits on the throne of Egypt and determines that he would rather ruin and destroy everything he has than submit to the commands of the Almighty. So God says, Pharaoh's heart will be hard. I will respond to that hard heart with signs and wonders. It's a program for the next five chapters. So many signs and wonders that even though Pharaoh won't listen, the people will be delivered anyway. God will bring them out despite Pharaoh's hard heart. This is God's usual method. Sometimes he softens hearts and converts to Saul of Tarsus. Most of the time, he strengthens his enemies so that his victory is more impressive. That is a prerogative of the Almighty. We can call it this, giving them all the rope they need to hang themselves. Giving them the strength they need to take a bite out of his people. Giving them the ink that they can use to write their own ticket to hell. God does that. And that's what he's going to do to Pharaoh. Pharaoh doesn't have to use the ink for that, the rope for that, the strength for that. He could use the strength to let God's people go and bless them. But he chooses not to. God is not trapping the wicked. He's treating them as they deserve. He gives them resources. When they use those resources for evil, their punishment is correspondingly worse. The same goes for us, of course. How many resources has God given you? And for what do you use them? You're naturally of a firm and resolute frame of mind like Pharaoh. Is there something you insist on over against God? God, you say X, I say Y. That's how it's going to be. Think about it. God's promise is deliverance despite Pharaoh's hard heart. God's heavy hand will be heavier than Pharaoh's hard heart can stand. There will be great judgments. Interestingly, verse 4, bring my armies, my divisions, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh doesn't have an army. At least the book of Exodus doesn't credit him with one. 
describes as chariots and horsemen and stuff, of course. But the, these military terms like divisions, armies, are used to describe Israel, which is obviously not a trained fighting force. There's a bunch of women and children and cattle and sheep on foot. God says, these are my armies. These are the ones that will conquer the military might of the ancient Near Eastern superpower. That's how God's armies are. God's final promise, enlightenment. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. Moses, you've been learning that I'm Yahweh. The Egyptians will learn it too after they go through ten plagues and see you leave and cross the Red Sea. Then they'll know who I am. God is most interested in the fame of His name. That was the goal of the Exodus. Not the psychological well-being of his people. That's important to God. But it's of limited importance compared to the glory of his name. You and I will be psychologically whole when we live for his glory. When our heart's desire is not to have our contributions recognized, but rather to have God's name known throughout the world. That's why our friends, our brothers and sisters at Roadway hang up these other flags in the back of the room to say, these are places where our money is going to support the proclamation of the name of Christ. That's what we should be all about. The fame of God's name. So Moses got it. Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. No more arguing, no more complaining, no more saying, it's not enough. God, I'm not ready for this. Your plan has an obvious flaw. Moses realized that salvation and exodus were about God's name, not about Moses' problems. It took him a while, right? He's 80 years old. no matter how long you've lived in God's service, you can forget what He's promised. But His promise still stands even when you've forgotten it. Even when you've grown old, failing to realize what it is that God is offering and saying. When you need a reminder, He'll give it to you. He gave it to Moses. He'll give it to you. Let's pray. Father, help us to truly live as though we want to know your name. Help us to believe your promise. To not forget it. Remind us, Father. Send us the sermons we need. The conversations we need. The friends we need. The conviction by your Holy Spirit that we need to remember that the issue is not whether We are holy enough to do the job you called us to. You call us to be holy. More importantly, you call us to recognize who you are. Help us to set about acquiring the holiness we need to do the jobs you put before us. Lord, we thank you for your provision for our callings in church, in state, in business, in education, at home. 
We thank you for these realms that your people inhabit. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be faithful in serving you in these places. Give us the grace to honor you and to listen to your reminders of what our calling is and what your provision for it is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.